Hello and welcome to the Role Playing Exchange. I'm Noah, introducing myself, I think for the first time. Uh, and we're here to do a little interview with a special guest. Um, I identify as he, him. And joining us, part of the regular cast, we have... Hello, this is Adam. I'm first in the alphabet. And I will jump ahead of you guys since Aaron is not here. And I identify as he, him. Uh, hi, my name is Ian. Uh, I'm here. Uh, I identify as he, him as well. Uh, and this is Patrick. Uh, again, my pronouns are he, him. Uh, and like I said, we have a special guest. Uh, Ray, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here, and my pronouns are he, him today. Uh, and today we are discussing the, the most important question of all, is Iron Man Mecha? Ooh, ooh, ah, um, look, no, but it is influenced by Mecha. You sound like you know a lot about Mecha. Is there uh, anything kind of going on? Uh, yeah, I actually uh, just published a Mecha game. Uh, and am working on another one as well. Um, interestingly, the one that I'm pu- I just published, I started work on the other game that is not finished yet. But yes, I'm working on those t- these two mecha games, and they are they share some themes and a few design influences and elements, and so they have a linked naming convention. So there's a longer game that I'm working on that isn't out yet and is, I think, in its fourth playtest version, called Live, Love, Die, mm-hmm. um, which is your more traditional role-playing format. It's based on Powered by the Apocalypse with a bunch of influences from Fate and Forged in the Dark games, so like Blades in the Dark as well. And then <laughs> I made a another game recently as part of the sad mecha game jam that was happening on itch which had 177 or 79 entries yeah i was going through itch's rpg pages and it's like one in three of the free rpgs out there are sad mecha games now it, it was huge we made some we i think at the end of it it turned out that so there's like a thousand and something games on itch's um physical game store or, or physical yeah, physical games category. The Sad Mecha Game Gen made something like five percent of those games of the total games that are in, in that's that part of the store. Yeah, but that game. So yeah, my my more traditional role playing game version Mecha game was called Live Love Die, and then my the one that I made for the Sad Mecha Game Gen is called Live Love Die Remember because it explores a bunch of you you are reliving the memories of a mecha that you are playing as before it has to make a choice about what it will do with the last moment of its life or or what it will do in a tense moment because you can actually choose to not die say a pivotal moment in the 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 mech story indeed indeed and so you relive these memories um before you make your choice in that moment so the the full RPG was an independent thing, and then the the smaller project, Live Love Die, I remember, was part of the project. Is that right? The, the the game jam. Yes, it was part of the game jam, and also was kind of a response to um, Live Love Die as well, because Live Love Die originally started as a lasers and feelings hack about about kissing your mech, 
and then it became a more serious game and the and I was like how can I actually explore the romance of this genre that is underrepresented and then I took that even further and widened the emotional spectrum of it into not just romance but also what you were to be more about the bond formed between pilot and mech and then the sad mecha game jam came out. I'm like, oh man, I'm working on a sad mecha ga- game, but it's way too long to fit into four to five pages. I'll have to make a new game. <laughs> oh, what am I going to make? I oh, know I'll make Live Love Die, Die again, except this time I'll actually stick to the initial premise. Uh, so Live Love. <laughs> nice. So in Live Love Die, remember, rather than playing as a pilot and exploring the emotional bond between between the pilot and the mech, although you do play the pilot, uh, the mech a little bit in uh, Live, Love, Die. In Live, Love, Die, remember, you're playing as a mech, exploring the memories you have of falling in love with your pilot, and you're reliving this love and the memories of this before you make this pivotal choice. Um, yeah. I remember reading this and just finding it fascinating. It is it's one on one, right? It can be one on one or it's actually it is a it's either solo or multiplayer because the way that the game works mechanically is that even when you're playing it together, each person's actually telling their own story and your stories are as interconnected as you choose for them to be. So the way that the game works is that you have these lists of prompts and you roll or, or you pick one off the list by whatever means you want. And, it, and you have to do a scene. You describe a memory of the mech using these prompts. So I actually played a short game of it last night as part of um, a celebration thing that a friend was doing. And so I got for my last, for my first prompt, I got, the first time you fought together, and so I described like a a like shakedown testing thing, and then I got when you learned what your pilot fights for, and so they were. T- I relived a moment of them telling my mech about um about how they had racked up a massive corporate a debt from the corporation they worked for, and so they were working that off by testing new mechs, and then. For the third one, I got your first dance, which is one of my favorite prompts in the game. And it was one that my friend Caitlin suggested because I was like, I need more romance movie trope prompts in here. And I'm having trouble thinking of them. And she's like, have you got their first dance in there? And I'm like, I have no idea what the first dance between a pilot and a mech looks like, but it's going in there. That's such an evocative term like in my head because that could be like a literal dance or it could be like some sort of euphemism for when like the pilot and the mech first kind of like bond or or yeah they kind of you know they work in unison like they should kind of deal i'm just gonna say let the mecha lead yeah it's 20 feet tall and made of metal it'll it, it, let it lead <laughs> <laughs> i don't know whenever i hear first dance for mecha i'm imagining like a Gundam, where it, uh, this probably never happened in Gundam, but imagine a scene from Gundam where the where the the mech or the pilot is dressed up in a fancy kind of dress or suit or whatever, and then they they start to dance on the causeway, uh, quote unquote, with the mech, and it's just 
this weird yeah. scene with 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 nice music overhead. Of course, you can't have a weird scene without nice music. Honestly, it sounds that is more the way you've described that is a little bit more evocative for me of the stuff that I have seen of Macross. Yeah, which is not a criticism, but it's like Macross is uh, is Macross is um a lot more. There's always a pop star in Macross. Yes, that is a very core part of Macross is using music to affect your enemies so you can fight. It's it's in the same way that in the same way that Gundam almost always sneaks in transhumanism. It does. Macross always has a reason for a pop idol. So you're saying that Macross is Slaneshi Mecha? <laughs> not at all. That is not at all what I'm saying. Not, not in quite. Anyway, well, they're the noise marines. No, I do gotta, I do gotta admit something here, right? And I'm really excited about this game. It sounds like such fun. I mean, I started out with my love of Mecha from being a small child watching the original Voltron, and then you know I, mm-hmm. I went ahead and played like you know Xenosaga and Xenogears and uh, Flight of the Enders and stuff like that, and just you know totally enjoyed this like dip my toe in it you've got my head cannon for a i want to eventually create a character which is like tom cruise but my mech's like uh, val kilmer's character from top gun oh <laughs> yeah and i think now that we're talking about music is you know our our music is going to be take my breath away at fucking some kenny loggins as your so interestingly on the topic of top gun right yeah. The there's a Gundam series called Stardust Memories. It's got a slightly longer name, but Stardust mm-hmm. Memories. And Stardust Memories, I think came out in the 90s, like early 90s. Yeah, that sounds I think it was like 89-ish. Yeah. But you can totally tell that cuz like earlier Gundam stuff doesn't feel like fighter pilots. Like there are some fighter pilot elements, but Gun Stardust Memories is like the cockpits look like the inside of fighter jets, and the way the narrative about the pilots is structured, especially in the earlier episodes, is super built like it's a fighter jet. Movie. Um, what's her name? the The main female character in that series looks like um, what's her name from Top Gun, Kelly. Yeah, like she has like the same sort of like haircut and everything. It's crazy. It's it's very when I was watching it, and I've I've only, I've not watched all of Top Gun before, but I am familiar with it because I, you know, watch a lot of other movies in the same mm-hmm. way that I am familiar with The Godfather with having never seen it. And so like when I was watching it I'm like, "Oh wow, this is like got a lot of sort of Top Gun DNA in there." Oh yeah. Um, and, and yeah. So that that was that's interesting that you put that in there. And there's definitely within within um Live Love Die in particular, there's this element to that where you choose the demeanor of your mech and the demeanor of your pilot, which is like their general emotional like how how they act towards other people. And it's there to be a role-playing reminder primarily. Um but you then also choose the relationship. So you can totally have the relationship between your pilot and your mech be like um, playfully antagonistic. We've done siblings. I just did a game where the relationship was parental. So the pilot was acting sort of like a mother for their mech. Um, whenever I fucking play, it's always 
a romantic relationship. Sometimes it's like a flirtatious relationship and other times it's like a committed sort of relationship. I say when I play, when I make and characters to exist within the setting because I have not played it yet, but like mm. we had one we had one playtest recently and it was like you know, the players all had these nice sort of non-romantic bonds with their mechs and then i'm just like yeah so there's this polyamorous pilot and mech who are super in love with each other and the mech's named cross and he speaks in like this drippy thick deep voice um and his and his cockpit is velvet (laughs) 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 that's oh man that's amazing uh, so, yeah, cross and this uh, is the Phoenix Academy series on yes, your podcast. Phoenix, Insert question. Yeah, Phoenix Academy playtest. Um, Finish the first episode of that. Yeah, so it's an interesting game because um, that one, that's the ver- first version three playtest, um, and so oh. we did a lot of we did a lot of um, tried out a bunch of new systems in that, and also finally worked out some of the experience trigger stuff. Um, but also, it's, it explores this narrative of um, it explores the narrative of what of being part of a a school that trains and makes the best mecha pilots and mech machines for this technocratic fascist nation. And as we went through the um, through the series, we like saw more of that overt fascism of the of the nation uh creep in um with the final episode being about the final episode having the having the having the underlying theme of um what would those oppressed by a fascist technocratic state do to achieve victory over their oppressor um so that was fun for them (laughs) anything yeah i mean i mean because gundam and so that's we'd sort of almost call it military sci-fi if we were trying to apply western genres to it and that does tend to sort of intersect the genre term for gundam in um the genre term for gundam by that the creator used i believe is called real robot yes Um, yeah term that because they were going for a sort of a a harder sci-fi approach or just like it can do anything. Well, no, it has like fuel and ammo. It's not like um, get a robo or something like that, where it's robots pop up out of the ground and combine. And hey, here's this neat to- neat toy you can go buy on the shelf right now. It's got a little bit more. Well, like, it is that. Well, yes, it still it is still bad because there are little Gundams who pop out of the ground and transform. <laughs> right, but it's it's got a bit more of a, a dramatic streak in it as opposed to some of the earlier series where it's very big bright colorful and it can still get kind of dark but it's not like about the psychological effects of war and and things like that well there are some great i know there are some great gundams that are about that and they are about uh i remember one of the best one of the greater scenes that uh because i watch gundam wing a lot and the there was a big there was a big deal about the relationship between the pilots uh, the five pilots and their relationship with their mechs. And I remember there was a scene where, spoilers, um, one of the, the pilots' mechs uh, is like blown to pieces on live television and he is just destroyed by that. Yeah, that's um, 
Yeah, I do remember that. That's actually, I think, used in some of the promos back when it was on TV. But, but- Gundam Wing's interesting historically, too, because uh, it was it was designed and intended to appeal both to an American audience more than the previous Gundam series, but also they were trying to appeal to a more female audience as well, which is why they chose to focus more on pilot drama. And interestingly, it's one of the most popular Gundam series in the West. Yeah. Yes, it's- same here. It was definitely the one I was first aware of. I think the first one I had, like before I was even aware of it as a, a series, I was familiar with the toys. Here such a, he's such a, fu- he's such a fucking Edward. For, for Live, Love, Die, Remember, this is just one thing that I really, really like about it um and maybe i'm overanalyzing it but it it reminds me of a book called um the five people you meet in heaven and what it is it's like five memories you have from people who tell you this is a memory that was important to me and this is and this is how you were involved and whatever it reminds me a lot about that and i think that it's so great because uh it's such an interesting tale of you going through your memories and it's sorry it's just I really like that, and it reminds me so much about that book. Yeah, so I I don't really know that book, but you saying it reminds me of I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's this Robin Williams movie where he dies and goes to heaven, and it's like really what dreams may come. It's so that fucking movie gave me nightmares as a as a Catholic child that grew <laughs> up in a fucking video store. The ending oh, of the bits where it's all painty and everything's melty. End- the ending of that movie in particular is very, it's very not fun as a person that was raised to believe in a literal hell, um, you know, but I, I don't think that was an intentional influence, but it's interesting that, you know, the things that we pull out of uh, stuff, because I think that it's very much a thing that is true to me that the th- everything in your life and everything you have experienced contributes to everything you put back out into the world. And so like the people us often talk about, you know, what GM prep do, do people do and stuff like that. And it's like, what GM prep do you need to do other than watch a bunch of shit in the genre that you want to, want to make a story in? Like when I'm, when I was going to run star Wars, I read the rule book a little bit. And what I did, what I actually did was watch all of the fucking clone wars again. Cause I'm like, Oh, I really don't super love Star Wars. How can I get into the space? I know. I'll watch the Clone Wars series because it's compelling for the most part. Uh, the Roddenberry one. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah in a similar situation, when, when we were sort of talking about running Live, Love, Die for this, I went on Netflix like, what what a mecca on Netflix? And there's like Pacific Rim, uh, Gundam Unicorn, the new one, and uh, Aldo Noah Zero. I, 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 don't, I, I didn't grok it as, as much. There's a, so Aldenoa Zero is really wonderful subversion of a bunch of mecha stuff. In particularly, it's interesting to position. It's interesting to position a bunch of super powerful mechs as the antagonists, and then have the have the protagonist have fucking nothing. Like yes, uh, for people who who just who a don't garbage mech. <laughs> uh, yeah, for people who don't know it, the, the setup of Al Noah Zero is like we we got to Mars on like hypertech we found on the moon, and then the moon exploded. Oops! But like the Mars Mars had like the ruins of an ancient alien civilization, and the breakaway faction that lives on Mars built a ton of shit with it, and is now coming back to to wreck Earth essentially. Very like very simplistic, but it means that like 
Earth Mecha are kind of clunky and militaristic, and then you have the cool main character Mecha, who are all the bad guys, and yeah. have got like cool hypertech um, science bendy stuff. Like the first one just has like absolute force fields that just like block everything, and they have to figure out like the science puzzle. It turns these boss fights into like puzzles. Yeah, which is the coolest part about the the show. There's yeah. a bunch of flaws in it narrativistically, but yeah, that's the yeah. cool part. I also really, I also got so excited in that show when there was a fucking magical girl transformation sequence, and then it was just a costume change. Like I thought she was going to have fucking superpowers and shit, but it was like, nah, it's just a costume change. I'm like, look, that's still cool, but it also would have been cool if she could, like, I don't know, fucking remote control mech or something. I, I hated the second season of that show. I really did. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched the ending like two days ago because it's coming off Netflix. I think today is its last day on Netflix. And the <sighs> the ending of season two is super fucking rushed. I just couldn't watch it. Uh, yeah, first season was amazing. I effing love that second season. So anyway, right, it seems like you did quite a bit of research on this. So how did you come about? You know, choosing this particular genre to do a, a game in, and what were some of your earlier influences that really helped shape and form Live Love Die? So, I mean, I talked a little bit about what Live Love Die start Live Love Die started out as as a game to begin with earlier on, but the actual catalyst for making Live Love Die was that I was really I was following the development of an upcoming role-playing game that's about Mecha called Lancer. Um, mm. And I was following that really oh, closely. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's got a bunch of interesting... It had a bunch... I mean, it still has a bunch of really interesting design aspects to it, which I won't get into. But there were some design elements in the early version of the game that I really latched onto as interesting. And as the game developed and went through more iterations, the features that I liked about it were removed... And it became, in order to bring it more in line with the creator's vision of what they wanted the game to be. And so I totally am 100% on board with the game becoming what it is becoming and what it has become. But it meant that I I lost interest in it as these aspects of the game that I was really into got removed. And so then I was like, well, what, what do I want out of a mecha game? What do I actually want? And I'm like, how can I, I mean, I just want to, I want a game about kissing robots. I want a game about piloting your robot and falling in love with it and so like that's where i started making the game and then you know i started thinking about a lot of my game designs are really they're not i wouldn't say specific but they are niche appeal like my first published game was a game about gods flirting it was designed to with two design principles in mind how can i make a role-playing game about having sex like act- where you actually have sex and how can I make a role-playing game that fits onto a business card? And I managed to achieve both of those things, but it's not a very mass. It- it's not a very... I have played the game once and I didn't finish playing the game because I got distracted by actually having sex. So as a game, it's a more of an interesting concept, right? And so I was more focused with Live, Love, Die on how can I actually make a more traditional, in quotation marks, role-playing experience? And what do I want out of that? And what are the mecha things that I love the most? So Titanfall 2 is possibly my favorite mecha game and is a bigger influence narratively on what live love die is than 
any of the Gundam series. I was um, I was going to say like when you first kind of brought up this game and kind of what the idea for it was. The first thing I thought of was Titanfall Two and the relationship between Jack Cooper and BT, and yeah. it's it's so good. It's like I absolutely love that game, and the fact that you're doing something that is very much influenced by that is is great. I love it. Yeah. So, like, as much as as much as what has gotten me interested in Mecha has been, I mean, what has gotten me interested in Mecha has been Power Rangers, followed swiftly by Code Geass, and <laughs> then. And then Gundam 00, and then Gundam um, IBO, and then I've gone through and watched all the Gundam Unicorn, uh, Gundam Universal Century, half of the Gundam Universal Century stuff now. I'm up to the beginning of Gundam Zeta, which is, God, I really hope I can get the movie versions, because I do not want to watch 40-something episodes <laughs> of that, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> but yeah, and so, yeah, Zoids a little bit, actually. I did watch Zoids when I was a kid, but... Yeah, I didn't think about that until just now, actually. But yeah, Zoids as well. All of those things sort of influenced me, but what really pulled me in narratively was that relationship between BT and Jack Cooper in um, Titanfall 2, which you should definitely uh, check out. It is a game that is published by EA, but I promise you it is worth it. The multiplayer is amazing, You've and the single player. The player is pretty good. It's interesting. It's a mecha game, right? But the mecha combat part of Titanfall 2 actually is not great to play it's not bad it just when you can when you are out of your mech and playing as doing the pilot combat and looking at bt fight bt fights in a way that just looks so much better and he seems so much more competent than when jack cooper is piloting bt Mm -hmm. and so it's it's interesting in that i only wanted to play as a pilot like i was i was very happy with the with the companionship aspect of it, but it's like whenever I had to pilot BT, I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of the companionship angle, I was going back over some of the versions because this is obviously like we're on version four now for Live or Die. In one of the original versions, yeah, but in the, in the original design, you had the Mecha as a character that someone at the table would also play. So like, I would be a pilot, and Noah would be my Mecha in this example. Yes, indeed. If you're familiar with Better Angels, yes, that's or, what I was or Wraith, say. Um, from the original World of Darkness stuff, uh, it's a similar concept to that, where you have where you are playing your pilot and someone else's mech for them. Um, but we found at the table that because of the genre of mecha stuff, you often wanted to describe when you were just wanted to describe the action. You weren't describing your pilot moving the mech you really just wanted to describe what the mech was doing and when that was someone else's character it felt strange so even though that was like a really cool concept to begin with and interestingly and and very interesting role-playing wise it ended up being really complicated and uh, and slowed down play because something that i wanted the game to be is that i wanted the combat to be fast and dangerous and and like aggressive and deadly like you had to think about it strategically but not get bogged down in i say think about it strategically meaning choose when to fight and how best to overcome the opponent not like plan out flanking maneuvers and things like that it's very cinematically descriptive sort of thinking tactically you know it's like oh i need to i need i can't kill the this mech i need to take it alive how can i do that oh i need to weaken it a bunch 
let's pile on conditions. Let's do a bunch of condition damage. So I wanted the combat to be fast, and I wanted a lot of the, like, and I wanted the emotional stuff to be, I wanted the emotional stuff to feel a bit more slow. And so the, the having the pilot be, having the pilot also playing someone else's mech and that continuing around for the whole circle of play actually slowed down the game heaps and made it really confusing for people to play. And what I have found is much better is that is having what we have in version three and version four of the game, which is where you play your pilot and your mech, but you can defer to others for mech stuff. So like we assume that the MC will add in stuff for your mech. And there are certain moves where you ask your mech questions and someone else and the MC answers for you. Or with the mech death move, um, do I don't have it up. With the mech death move, you ask, you you make the roll as the player, and then you hand the results and the control of the action moving forward for the for that move to another player of your choosing. You ask someone else to choose from the list of options on the death move. I now know why you cry. Yeah, I now know why you cry, uh, which is actually a Terminator 2 reference because mm-hmm. I actually saw Terminator 2 when I was a kid because I, I grew up in a video store. I mean, I grew up in a general store in a hamlet in the middle of the Australian Outback, but that meant that it was also a video store as well as a takeaway shop, as well as the local grocer. And we almost got our liquor license, but then my mum got driven out of town. <laughs> Yeesh, because my, right. my, mom's, my mom's not good at making friends, right? So, but I saw Terminator 2 when I was very young, and I also saw Short Circuit when I was very young. Mm-hmm. And so I have always been really, I mean, and this will be weird thinking about Terminator as a series as a whole, but I have always been really opposed to the idea that artificial intelligence will want will inherently want to destroy humanity because when you watch terminator 2 you have a killing machine that is the best stepdad on the planet i mean he he has his flaws and he and and he struggles to understand what his stepson john connor is is doing and his motivations but he relentlessly tries to understand what john wants and that moment at the end of the movie where oh man the I'm chain feeling, going down I'm feeling like my chest becoming a knot where yeah where arnold schwarzenegger says to john in a callback to an earlier scene in the movie where he asked why do you cry he says to John, as John is pleading with him not to, not to, oh. not to die. He's he pleads. He's pleading with uh, the Terminator. The Terminator says, "I know now why you cry, and it's why I can't stay." I think is what he says. I think he might say. I think he might say, "I, I, I never, ca- I never will be able to," or something to that effect. But yeah, and so he. And then he lowers down into the into the uh, liquid metal and is melted down, and it's a very emotional moment in the film. This culmination of this of this um, thing, and it's it's uh, it's something that has really stuck with me. And so I get really fucking annoyed by um, 
by AIs are going to be evil arguments. It's like, no, AIs will be as loving as we allow to be and as loving as we teach them to be. Mm-hmm. You remember that time we put a robot on Twitter and it became a racist because Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the robot, exactly. that was Twitter. Like we can, in, this, in the same way that no child is evil, we can teach their, we, AI will be whatever we choose to make it. And interestingly, in the novelization of uh, Terminator 1, it is revealed that the reason Skynet is act- uh, destroys humanity is because the programmers programmed into Skynet that it must protect what is good from what is evil. With no qual, with no mean, they didn't teach it any means of discerning what good was or what evil was, and so it assumed that because it protects good, it was good, and therefore that anything that tried to destroy it must be evil because it is a protector of good. So when everyone was like, "Oh, Skynet's getting a bit uppity and destroying a lot of stuff that we don't want it to do and they tried to shut it down it was like whoa 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 you're destroying what's good i gotta protect what's good from what's evil and so it killed everyone god is that the reason that's that that's, is one that's of the reason. also the the line is i know now why you cry but it is something i could never do mm-hmm. yeah exactly that's great great line that that line because like a, a kind of a kind of a, a point of of design for a lot of the Powered by the Apocalypse games is to, like, call back to pop culture stuff with every mm-hmm. fucking opportunity. So, I Know Now Why You Cry is the name of the move for when the mech needs to take more damage than it can, and then what it does. Um, and then a bunch of the options are informed by both... Uh, a lot of the options are informed by Titanfall, and in particular, Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. Um, so there's like something in there where you destroy the battlefield, which is very reminiscent about what of what happens at the end of season two of Gundam IBO. And then there's also one in there where you write a message to your um, pilot, which is very reminiscent of what happens at the end of Titanfall two. Mm-hmm. There's also another option in there where you write a message to the world, which I added recently because before there was an option on there, one of the options you could choose is, oh, your signature weapon survives. And it's like, that's not fucking interesting and emotional like the rest. So I put in, you write a message to the world, which is meant to be reminiscent of those moments, those those pivot, those climactic moments in a lot of Gundam shows in particular, where the pilot dies, and then we cut to nine months later, and the whole world has had a completely, like, bloodless political revolution, and everyone's singing kumbaya and socialist now this is more prevalent in the gundam spin-off series like yeah. not the universal century stuff but like gundam double o and gundam iron-blooded orphans and things like that like the culmination of gundam double o is like and then the aliens and humanity fell in love and it's like oh okay cool <laughs> i remember i'm sorry the the i remember the end scene of iron-blooded orphan was so weird for me we we're like oh yeah yeah that team won, the team that didn't want the democracy and crap. And then nine months later, yeah, democracy happened and everything's cool and copacetic. It's like, oh, okay. So just, all right. Look, I mean, that's kind of the, ter- that's kind of par for the course for the Gundam, um, for the Gundam spinoff shows. They don't really go into the nitty gritty of how everything worked out in the end. It's just like powerful, <laughs> dramatic moment, cut to nine months later and everything's perfect. Although in the case of Iron-Blooded Orphans, cut to like, seven or eight years later and everything's fine 
Um, I, I noticed that there was one move that says, I'll go first. And that was when you die or one of your friends dies. I forget what it was. When, when, the, when the pilot must take harm but can't. Yes. Yeah. Um, I remember that is the scene. Okay. Spoilers for Iron Blooded Orphans. You're ruining everything. You ruin yeah. all the things. Look, look, I, I'm, I'm almost look. tempted to put my foot down against spoiling Iron Blooded Orphans because I genuinely. So let's hold on. Let's go back to the actual core game. Mm-hmm. We've already kind of touched upon some of the stuff that you're you're introducing with like the moves and everything like that, which is a, a powered by the apocalypse. Yeah, like core mechanic. What are what are some of the mechanics, things you've worked into the the game to kind of make it your own and and kind of some of the the stuff that you think really reflects the sort of ideas you're trying to get across with the game. I definitely think that the um, the death moves that we've talked about really uh, emulate that um, thing, and and the death moves come from a game called the Regiment, where which is a military game, sort of in the veins of Band of Brothers, where whenever a character dies, each character type has a specific death move that advances the plot, just like in a war movie. Mm-hmm. And so that was where I first saw that idea, and I'm like, oh wow, this is way more compelling than the Apocalypse World sex moves. <laughs> Which sex moves are cool, but death moves, whoa, it's got a lot more weight to it. And uh, another example of the stuff there that um, sort of brings this is that when I set out to write the game, I wrote, I knew that the stats I wanted were meant, were going to be something to cut, reflect your emotional power, both your ability to understand other people's mo- emotions, but also your ability to throw your emotions at people, which is more common in anime versions of the mech genre like Gundam and stuff. You see this in you see this a lot in Gundam's uh spin-off series and stuff like that. But also I wanted a stat that was about your technical ability, your understanding of mechs. Because there's a lot of pilots in in um various mech genres that are actually really shit pilots, but they know so much about mechs that it outweighs everything else like oh i don't really know shit about how to steer this thing but i know that there's a weak spot on that particular design right here and so if i just keep shooting my laser at that point eventually their heat capacitors are overload and they'll explode yeah there's a lot of that sort of exploitation and then the other thing i wanted was a stat that reflected your the pure embodiment of your ability to deal and cope with violence because dealing out violence is toxic to the soul, and so it is just as much about enduring uh, violence and being able to stand the violence you do to others and the violence you have done to you, as it is actually knowing how to you know do headlocks and aim good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I sort of poured the moves that are centered around those stats into reflecting those themes the best I could. And I wanted to make sure that originally I wanted to make sure that the moves were balanced. So there was three moves for dealing for attacking the enemy with emotion. Uh, with your with your with the stats, right? So there was one for each of the stats. And then there was one move for reading the scene with those stats. And then I recently realized, actually, emotion should be more powerful. <laughs> and so there is now, there is one extra move 
that tips the balance towards emotion is the, is more useful because you can. There's a lot of moves in Live Love Die that don't Live Love Die uh, that don't use stats. There's a lot of things where it's like either you don't roll or you have to just give up something in order to have something happen. So, for example, there's um, there's a move called I, n- I think it's called I Need You to Know, which is where when you cut through the bullshit and are honest with someone about how you feel about them without any expectation of a reciprocation of that um, behavior, they, you, you sort of free yourself. And so you choose like an option based on how you feel about having spoken to the truth of the matter. Mm. Um, and there's no role for that. You just do it. <laughs> and then anyone that is involved in the scene also gets to choose one. Yeah. It, it sounds like the sort of, just talk sort of answer to the situation everything would be fine if everybody just actually talked to one another indeed and so yeah i wanted to know because a lot of a lot of times and i know this game is about focusing about pilots and their relationships with their mechs but are there particular moves or focus on conflict and uh relationships between different pilots outside of their mechs as well yeah, so it's interesting because the focus is meant to be on the focus in terms of the game. You can sort of think of it almost like rings, right? So you have the first inner ring, this deep core closest ring, which is pilot and mech. Pilot and the mech live in there, and that is the drama and the and the narrative that the that the players should be chasing hardest. Uh, or, or be most focused on. And then the next ring around that is your pilot and mech and how they interact with the other pilots and mechs on their team. And then the next ring out from that is how does your pilot, how does your team interact with the world? Are they with the world or are they against it? What stands between them, you know? Um, and that outer ring is the one that I've detailed the least. In terms of moves for interacting with other pilots there's a lot of moves that have that were originally written for use against uh, use pertaining to mech and pilot that have been reworded so that you can use them more broadly okay yeah i, I was wondering about that because i really was because i know a lot of times it's like oh you know you don't really mech when you're fighting or doing you know interacting with people but it's just to me i've also know that in my head, for a lot of times, it's interacting with different people and having them be a part of that relationship with you and your mech. I wanted to know if there if there going to be more development with that. Yeah, no, I think I think most of the development on building that up because I'm pretty happy with the way most of the moves are working now. Like some of them need tweaks on wording, and some of them need one of the emotion moves needs extra options, right? But for the most part, I'm happy with the space that they're filling. But what there's a whole separate phase of the game. Most of the most of the moves focus on what happens during missions, right? When you're fighting mech to mech or right. pilot to pilot, depending. Um, mech against pilot, like whatever. Um, but like this combat militaristic missions, right? And then originally a lot of the moves I had written to be like, and you know, you can use these out of combat too. And then I was like, actually, we want the moments out of combat to be very, they can be drawn out, but we want them to be snappy and mechanically uninvolved because they need to just sort of flow and be done with. 
So I developed this thing based off a bunch of stuff from a bunch of other games, like um, Night Witches has this to a degree, and in particular Magical Fury, which is a big influence on me, has this, which is called the Interlude System at the moment. Um, It'll probably get a better name, but it's for what happens between sessions, and basically, well, not even between sessions, for what happens between missions, and basically each player, which includes the MC, well, well, yeah, each each pilot, each pilot player (laughs) chooses chooses a option from a list to do as a scene. And some of them will have mechanical benefits and others will just be like, you and your mech have some quality time together. What does that look like? And others will be like, you tear the broken, you tear the broken components out of your mech and replace them. What, what does that cost? And that cost will probably not be, oh yeah, how many credits do you spend? It'll be like, what's the emotional anguish you cause to your mech? tearing components out of them so that you can fix the pain that they're feeling. Okay. Uh, And so each each player will do one of these scenes and then the MC does a scene and there'll be triggers like, show us what the enemy is doing, right? And then you do that until either the players trigger a mission or the MC triggers a mission. Um, So sometimes your interludes will be on a clock and other times you you might say, everybody do two. Or you might say, we're going to do these and you guys can try and tick up for a mission or and I can try and tick up for a mission and whoever reaches the mission first is, you know, who gets to decide what mission we're doing, right? So it might be like, you're trying to find out where the enemy is so you can attack them while the enemy's trying to find out where you are so they can attack you. So it's about how the players choose to spend their time, their downtime, basically. Yeah, awesome. Um, I think... There's a lot of, uh, this is my last thing and I'll stop and let everyone else do whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, is my last thing is that I keep, when I, when I look at this game and I don't know if you were influenced by this or if whatever, it's just a coincidence, but I keep thinking darling in the Franks. I have only seen one episode of it. And well, what I keep imagining is I keep imagining there'd be a great relationship and I don't know how this would work mechanically, but if you had like a relationship where it's because in that show it's, it's, there's two pilots piloting the mech. Imagining what if there's two pilots and then the mech itself. I'm just trying to imagine like how that would work mechanically with everything. I, I mean, the, the, the thing that I've been thinking of was um, one of my first mecha things was uh, Titan, which is a Warhammer thing. Uh, they have these right. big, big scale things, and it's like you've got one guy who is like directly neurally interfaced into it and has this like direct mental link with it, but it's still a, like he's just the pilot. There's still this fuck huge crew making the legs work, making the giant guns work. Uh, so I don't know. That be might be an interesting tweak to the game. One mecha for the whole team. I think that both of those are really cool ideas, and I also think that they are other role playing games. Um, I know that there are a few role playing games that do. So the thing that you're describing with Darling in the Franks is pretty much Pacific Rim. There's a bunch of games that do <laughs> Pacific Rim style stuff. There's even a bunch of them that do it within the me- the Mecha Game Jam thing. And like the Mecha Game Jam games are small. So they're a lot more focused on specific aspects of that. But, and then the other thing with the team piloting a mech, I, um, I think that that is a really cool idea, but I just, I think that it would require a bunch of moves to be rewritten to the point where I'd be developing a new game, which is cool and fine. And maybe I'll do that one day, but at the moment I am not (laughs) writing the Power Rangers piloting the Mechazord uh, mecha game. 
which well, you maybe have. which maybe I, I, I with the Megalus, you do have the um, what's it the uh, the the link up modules. You do have yes. rules in there for playing a Megazord. That is true. The link up modules is the link up modules is like oh yeah, I guess some people might want to play Voltron, which I suppose you can play Voltron if you want to, which is not a criticism of Voltron. It's just like that's not the game I set out to make. But in terms of stuff within within the shows and media that I'm pulling influence from, that is meant to be like my mecha has a is a power pack carrying machine for this other mecha, which you see a lot in Gundam. It's like this thing yeah. clips onto me, and now my mech can fly and has a big fuck off cannon as well as all these swords, <laughs> right? As opposed yeah. to as opposed to you know. Quick, we gotta, we gotta form the Megazord. Wah! Yeah, which is cool, but is and you can use it that way. It's definitely intended that way. But like, be prepared for the game mechanically to fall apart. Like, so. you will have to real you in if you do linkage node and everyone on the team has linkage node, then you're gonna need <laughs> to do. You're gonna be fighting linkage node creatures all the time. Yeah going to be everyone oh. everyone's got 14 mech modules <laughs> um, uh, have fun like it's hard enough to use like when i make when you make a enemy which is called a rival for live love die you it is a, a rival in particular is an enemy and i guess this design idea comes from red markets actually a rival is an enemy that has all of the advantages of the player except that they don't have the role because they're still an mc controlled character mm. um yeah. and so they have uh they have a four point health track they have six modules their mech has up to seven hit points depending on what modules it chooses and it can do all of the things that the players can try to do and when you do that and you put six modules on an enemy i almost never use all six it's more about building a toolkit and having this mech there so that when the players try to do something and you want to trigger something, it's like, oh, hey, actually, I have this module that is relevant here. Boom. But, like, the first few times I've run the game, it's like, oh, I fucking used, like, three of them. And then it was like, nah, I don't have time to use the other three. So if you had an with 14 modules... It's, it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> it's a lot. So, so what you're saying, Ray, is look forward to Live, Love, Die 2... Where it's all about combining robots. Yeah, it's, it's Live, Love, Die I, Two Switchblade Edition. Honestly, I think if I made a Mechazord version of Live, Love, Die, it would be called Live, Love, Never Die because Power Rangers don't die. I mean, Power Rangers sure. do die, but Power Rangers don't die. Yeah, like that would be that would be what it would be called. It would be called Live, Love, Never Die because yeah, it's fucking <laughs> oh, Power Rangers is a whole and, other thing. I could get excited about. Oh boy, um, I do have to say. Noah's Discord name is common. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can talk uh, about Sentai shit all day. There's, there's all sorts of crazy stuff we can talk about. I'm gonna say that any rival I ever make in this in this game is going to be a blonde-haired, masked person with a penchant for red, named Full Frontal. Oh, dude! A friend of mine who hasn't seen Universal Century but has watched a bunch of other Gundam stuff with me. So Noah is talking about the char. In Universal Century, which includes the original Gundam series, there is a character called Char, who is blonde, wears a mask, wears a lot of red, and has a certain character archetype 
and personality. And every Gundam series has has Char in it, even the ones that don't take place in the Universal Century or take place in the Universal Century after Char is dead. Yes. They all have Char in them because Char is a is more is a is just as consistent a fixture of Gundam as a yes. franchise as the Gundams. He- it's you have a Gundam and then you have a Char. And honestly, yes. I feel like Char is more of a constant than the Gundam because I mean, look at Turn A, Gundam. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> he is, like, Char is an archetype, yeah. basically. He is, he is ex- ascended above a simple character from that first series. He is... Is he the one who just came here to laugh at you? Yes. I'm getting headaches just thinking about this. Yes. Oh, he, no. he is the one who came here to laugh at you. Are, are we proposing that we are rebranding Gundam as the Char Cinematic Universe? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, in a way... Yeah, kind of. I mean, so you have the grand unifying theory of Vin Diesel. You have the grand unifying theory of Char. I mean, technically speaking, Turn A Gundam is like the end of every Gundam series timeline where they all just kind of converge. Indeed. So, it's pretty fucking wild. It is it, gets, it is the breath of the wild of the Gundam universe. Yes, it gets like. crazy. It's like, how do these three convergent timelines mix together? It's like black holes. Mm-hmm. Something. <laughs> for for live, love, die, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I said that I said that I already asked my last question, but I just remembered something. I know this is this part of his combat, and that it is fighting against other mechs uh, using you know most of the time we're talking about like fighting them using guns or whatever that kind of thing. But I do remember that there was a I can't remember what the name was, but there was a mech TV anime where it was all about racing, and there was like three pilots with three mechs versus versus other three pilots and their three mechs. Uh, that uh, IGPX. Okay, I, I I literally don't remember the name of it. So if that's it, then it, that's it. Would this I this is still keeping to the core theme of of being um of of bonding with your mech and that kind of thing? Could this technically be used in that kind of setting as well to do like a race? Yeah, to do like a racing kind. Of, I mean, I know there'd be tweaking or whatever, but but it's interesting. So you could, but again, I think that you. I have done racing role-playing game stuff before with games that are not designed for it. See my adventure-based rating game. And it turns out <laughs> that doing narratives about races in systems that are not specifically designed to support that actually kind of clunky and not fun. Yeah, um, yeah I- it's hard to like describe travel verbally in a way that like a, a visual medium can like you go very fast yeah. it, it yeah goes like something whoosh. something something about something about narratives that about making narratives that are about travel that feel like traveling they need to be focused on that like for example when you do like a when you do a D game right does the traveling across the country ever actually feel like an actual journey even in dungeon world when you undertake a perilous journey it doesn't feel like undertaking a perilous journey it feels like that moment in a a computer rpg where you travel from one point to another and there is a x percent chance of a random encounter right 
That's what yeah. it feels like to me. It it's, doesn't it's, evoke traveling. It just evokes traveling in a video game. It's the GM picks up a pane of glass and smashes it with a hammer and goes. I was just going to say it's the the red line moving across the map in Indiana Jones. Like. Yeah. Which can be super evocative and cool and on genre when you do it that way. Like if you were doing a um like a if you would if you were doing like a pulpy adventure game and you did it and you described it like that, like we see the map and the line being drawn between the airports that you have to fucking jury rig a flight to get to Nepal from. Like that would evoke the sense of travel relevant to that genre. But in terms of racing stuff, like you really, there's lots of people at the moment working on a racing role-playing games because making a racing board game, that can be done and it totally works. It's difficult, but you can get it to work. But making a racing RPG is kind of hard, not impossible, but a bunch of people that are more invested in racing stuff than I am are doing that. There's car lesbians, and that's the only one I can think of top of my head. <laughs> Ashton McAllen, who is an Australian game designer who made Oracle, um, and I have an interview on Insert Quest here with her. She's making, or at last I heard, was working on, as one of her, the many projects she's working on, a game inspired by the Paris to Peking race. Interesting. Um, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and she was wrestling with... Do I make this game about, is this game each player is their own race team or is it all the players are on the one race team? (laughs) And I was like, you need, I think those those are both good game ideas, but they are both different games. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, no, no. It's a a good question. It's just, Yeah. yeah, it's one of those things where, yes, you could do it with live love die but i think you'd need a bunch of extra moves and some moves wouldn't be useful and some of the some of the a lot of the moves so something that we ran in with phoenix academy because it's not a it is not primarily a war-based setting that we built it's you're in a school a bunch of the moves didn't come up or had prompts that almost didn't work and so, like, the level of danger and stuff the players were interacting with was completely different because they, like, they're doing testing. Obviously, we're not doing live fire drills. <laughs> There's no... I, I didn't deal damage to the pilots until the last game when they were in war, and it really struck home. Oh, shit, this is real. Like, someone shot at their mechs with armor-piercing ammo, and the mech was fine, and the pilot took one in the arm. Jeez, wow. Brutal. No, this happened in the this happened in the last episode that we just did, the finale. They they landed on an oil rig that had a bunch of machine guns on it, and one of the machine guns was loaded up with AP ammo. And I'm like, I sh- I shoot at you, and it's, you take harm. They're like to the mech of the pilot. I'm like, excellent point <laughs> to the pilot. Yeah. So yeah. So you've you've already talked about one of your settings. Mm. Are there any other ones you want me want to give the the listeners like a little peek into if, when they? Yeah. So it's worth noting. I'm, I plan to kickstart this game at some point once I have the game entirely written and ready to go to an editor. That's when we'll be looking at Kickstarter stuff because I want to be able to pay an editor, and I don't really want to pay it out of the money that I use to eat because that's all I really use my money for. So that's fair when, enough. That's when we'll be going to Kickstarter. 
So Phoenix Academy was made using this feature within the game, which are like these sort of inspired by love letters from Powered by the Apocalypse. And they are these questions that you... um, They are these lists of questions grouped by theme and like what aspects and tropes you'd like to explore within your game. And so the MC can ask the players, oh, which of these groupings of questions sound the most interesting? And then you can go through and choose the questions within that sublisting that evoke stuff for you, right? So mm-hmm. um, Phoenix Academy, they said that the ones that they were most interested in was the questions about like tournament, gladiatorial, and like school-based settings. And I think the other one was... The list of questions that's about like nationalism and brave warrior knights and things like that. And we talked a little bit about drawing inspiration from the recent Voltron series and the Galaxy Garrison, which the pilots attended before they shot off into space. And then also like, well, let's explore some fascist themes because like what nation has military schools where they give the students like fucking cutting edge mechs. It's like, I mean, weird, weird fascist nations, I imagine. So we came up with this technocratic fascist state and then we sort of explored that. And, and so there's all of those sort of questions, but we also have, and so you use those to build a setting. And like, that was just the way we built that. We could have very easily done with those two question lists. You very easily could have got a game that was about you were great knights who were stripped of their honor, and now you fight in the gladiatorial pits trying to regain your honor. And you have to fight with these strange mechs that you that are so different to the to the great holy ancient armors that you used to pilot, right? It could have been a very different game. Or it could have been like uh, it could have been more like it could have been like war has been outlawed and now we'd settle everything in weird tournaments. So you're traveling to yeah, you're f- traveling to Mars to do RoboJucks, right? Um, with just those two question types, um, those two question lists being chose- chosen, you can get that those wildly different settings out of it, depending on how you ask the questions and what you frame and what jumps out at the people as being interesting. I've also got plans to write, and this something that is important to me as a person that has seen other people cripple themselves fulfilling stretch goals, my Kickstarter isn't going to have stretch goals. If we get more money, we get more money. And it goes, it gets funneled back into everyone that worked on the project. Every, like the, the plan is, oh, we got more money. Cool. We're going to pay everyone more. It's like, oh, we don't get a cool new game. It's like, no, you get, you're getting this game. Um, and I don't know how that's going to work, how, how that will perform marketing wise, but that's just, I am not going to do... <laughs> as I am not going to do as a function of my Kickstarter a whole other Kickstarter. Right. Yeah, no, it's 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 admirable, definitely. I know uh, there's a couple other bigger, like actually uh, bigger role-playing groups, uh, not role-playing, but role-playing publishers that will do that as well. So it's definitely a, a good idea. And you, like you said, you don't want to kill yourself trying to suddenly yeah. make like so, two extra books or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I have a bunch of ideas for like expansions or like splat book kind of things with, because bad by the apocalypse games don't either. They have very, very highly specific settings or there's just sort of genre toolkits. Right. 
and even with the specific settings, it's like that's because we're going for a really specific genre. Like if I, like if you made a Seven Samurai RPG that was just about Seven Samurai in a Japanese setting, like that's still a genre toolkit game. It's just the genre you're telling is the the genre that is the specific movie Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I have done with some of the stuff that I've planned is the setting books that have specific pre-built settings and then have either some game mechanic or some move that adds in a uh, interesting new like aspect to the game. So one of them that I'm working on is called Live, Love, Die, Slight Return Arde, I think is the name. Have some wild names. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. Like my influence of the game is actually less anime and more like Western mecha stuff for a lot of it. And then like the names is just pure fucking anime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but slight return R day <laughs> is it adds in this mechanic that actually comes from a version of Dungeon World that Ash uh, ran called splintering wheel um which is a west marches style mm-hmm. dungeon world campaign so you just have this rotating cast of players coming through constantly and so we all are part of this town uh which i think was called beta and we were building up and improving on the town and so i built this uh i, I wanted to take some influence from that and make this game about building up a community on a new alien planet uh, where you play as uh, seed wardens because you have been on this seed ship and now you arrive here. You are the seed wardens, the mecha pilots who protect this new community from whatever the fuck it is that is out there in the jungles of the planet. Um, and so you build things to improve the settlement and try and get it to self-sufficiency. And you have to, And you have to answer these questions of, are we going to try and impact this planet minimally or are we going to terraform it and turn it into a new earth? Like it has a biosphere. We came here because it does, but are we going to change it <laughs> uh, so that it is less hostile to us? Are we going to eradicate the alien creatures that live here that are tearing apart our mechs or are we just going to try and push them back and keep them from overrunning this place? And, you know, there's an ecological choice there. Um, And, you know, some of the other ones are, like, adding magic into the game. And so your mechs are um, mystical altars in a way. Um, They have arcane engines inside them that allow you Mm. to cast big magic. My favorite kind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Live, Love, Die, uh, Ethereal Phoenix is uh, that one. Which also has a little bit of inspiration from... um, from World War One as well, and that weird, that weird aspect of World War One where you had, you know, you had heavy cavalry with spears right. and stuff next to machine guns. So you have, you have, and and I'm envisioning that magic is the new industrial power. Like it's the thing that is changing this world. It's like, oh yeah, we have all these machines and shit, and it's yada yada yada. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute, what if we fucking what if we took magic, which is very hard to do, and we built a machine that does it for you, yeah. and then we put that machine in a robot? I'm getting sort of a an Escaflone meets World War One kind of vibe out of that. Yeah. Mm, cool. Yeah. And then the other final one I had, which actually is inspired by the 
book, um, New York 21, oh, here it is, New York uh, 2140 is a game, is a version called Live, Love, Die, Iridium Horizons, which has a bunch of stuff about monster of the week sort of things and um, some, and maybe some stuff to do with traveling. And it is about being on this floating um, island city, a small city that travels around the world, moving refugees from environmentally impacted uh, island nations and things like that and places in low-lying water and helping them, if they so choose, to find new homes. Uh, and it is about protecting those uh, those refugees and helping them to find houses. That's sort of what it is at the moment. It might change. I'm sort of tossing with the idea of, am I really the right person to write that? But the main point is um, to be is to be on this mo- mobile island helping to find helping people find new homes and protecting them. Yeah. Um so yeah. Awesome. But those are the- oh, and then there's one about being cops because Pat Labor. Yes. I, I keep um, looking at the Pat Labor like complete DVD set on Amazon and I'm like gonna I'm gonna get that one day. I need to watch all of Pat Labor. So Yeah, that actually came out of the idea for that one came from I was trying to work out what the name for Live, Love, Die, Remember would be. Hmm. And I put a poll up and lots of people, I was like, Live, Love, Die, Remember or Live, Love, Die, Quantum Memory. Um, And a lot of people wanted Quantum Memory. And as the poll went on, I was like, actually, I know that it has to be Live, Die, Remember. (laughs) Um, And so Quantum Memory is going to be, it's going to have a set number of sessions that you have to play. And it's going to have information about, it's going to have a pre-written crime. So you can only really play Live, Love, Die, Quantum Memory once. Mm. And it's going to be, you are, you are mecha cops doing mecha cop stuff and you've got to solve this crime. And you have, if you, and it'll probably be inspired a little bit by Ghost in the Shell and probably a lot of Pat Labor. Uh, Pat Labor, nice. rather. You're a loose cannon, RGB 182. <laughs> and I tell you, man, you really pulled my heartstrings when you were mentioned Arda. Just this is just like a little aside, but that's what my little toddler. Oh yeah, that's. I was gonna say that's the name of one of your children, right? Yeah, Ara. But the little one can't say Ara, so she calls her Arda. So as soon as you said that, I'm like, yeah, I gotta buy that now. It's just. <laughs> yeah, so, Arda means Earth, but I can't remember what language it's in. German, probably. It sounds Germanic. I know Erde is E I D E in German, but it might be a. Oh, it's mm, spelt mm. A A R D E. The that seems Danish then. In that case, the A R D could be. But yeah, so yeah, so you you really got me there. I do have one final question before we wrap of this course. up. So, what have you learned during this entire process of making Live Love Die and your other projects here? And what kind of advice would you could you offer game designer from what you've learned? Look, specifically from Live, Love, Die, I would say that um, just it is important to it is important in all creative work to know when to let go of a project. Um, And I'm very I'm very conscious of making sure that you don't. Well, I'm not very conscious, but I am at least somewhat aware of that of not doing anything that makes me intractably committed to this thing if i get to a point like for example there's quite possibly iridium horizons won't get made just because while i think the themes are cool 
I don't think that I can't. I I think that it would be very perilous for me to write a game about protecting refugees when I am a person from the country of Australia, which has a vested interest in torturing refugees. And so, even though I oppose that government standing, and I am very much in support of refugees being given access to safe communities and a new place to live, it I still am nervous that I could write Iridium Horizons in a way that is uncomfortable for refugees to read, or a way that is exploitative. And so, that is a thing that I am aware of, right? And in the same vein, I'm, I'm, I haven't put any money into um, Live, Love, Die yet. It has just been writing. Um, I have put time into it, but I have a bit of spare time at the moment, so why not? And so I haven't bought art for it or anything like that. I had a, I had a friend who was like, oh, I'm thinking about buying this art for a game that I haven't finished yet. And I'm like, don't do that. It's incredibly dumb. It's like, yeah, but it'll motivate me to finish it. And I'm like, it'll trap you into having to finish it. But that's just like a different design thing. Um, another thing that I would probably say to people that are thinking about working on a game is, for me, working on any creative project, it is important to know what do you want to bring and what is unique about this. There's been a lot of talk lately in relation to the Mecha Game Jam um, and also some other stuff that happened related to Mecha RPG stuff. There's been a lot of talk and stuff being shared around on Twitter that I've seen about, like, these are the themes that a mecha game or a mecha narrative has to have in it. And, like, if your game isn't exploring this, then why is why are you even writing a mecha game? And at first I was like, oh, shit, that's really confronting and it makes me uncomfortable because, like, I haven't put that theme in there intentionally yet. Like, I haven't done anything intentional about that. I've just been focused on, you know, falling in love with your mech and, like, exploring how do you play through that romantic relationship. And then I was like, well, actually fuck that <laughs> like you can tell that story that they demand is necessary in my game but it's not the primary focus in the same way that the primary focus of the primary focus of pacific rim is not what does war cost that is a theme that you can get a glimpse at through pacific rim but like that's not the focus of that movie but that theme is there you know they fund it with Black market pharmaceuticals, <laughs> but um, but yeah, like you can explore the themes of being turned into a weapon of war or whatever. But the purpose of Live Love Die is to focus on. It is meant to be a narrative about how we choose to uplift ourselves and be true to our heart in moments of great distress. It is about being in a horrible situation and finding love in spite of that and finding community and and finding an emotional connection with someone because you've both shared this experience and you've been through it and you've supported each other through this horrible time. Um, and, you know, some of the games of Live, Love, Die are going to be darker than others, especially if you play with the meat grinder um, <laughs> question set. <laughs> Uh, which is all I think is called hotshot attrition, which has questions like, why does your army use child soldiers? <laughs> Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think one of the other questions is, who had, who had to die so that you were an ace, basically? Like, who had to die so that you are now on the front line? Like, 
how much of your how much of your army got chewed through to the point where they're putting children that have never piloted mechs before on the front line. Um, like you and 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 so it is it is important to be to know what it is you're adding, and sometimes that can and enough of that can just be I'm adding my voice, right? Awesome, awesome. So, Ray, uh, where can people find you on the internet, and what other great projects are, are you involved in? Particularly, like we play together. Where can they listen to us play together? At? Indeed. So you can listen to games that I am on on RPX. I've been in, I think I've been on some of the worldwide wrestling games that you've had. I've definitely been on some red market games that you have. Yeah. You can also find some of the RPX cast over on Insert Quest here in our worldwide wrestling game. And Insert Quest here is where I post all of my actual plays and my interviews with people, um, or the ones that I direct, I suppose, the actual plays that I direct or am involved in. You can find me on Twitter, which there will be a link to in the show notes for this, as well as a link to Insert Quest here's Twitter and all of yes. Insert Quest's social media stuff. And you can also find my projects, Arosha, a game about gods flirting, uh, and Live, Love, Die, Remember, a mecha romance game, uh, over on my Itch store, which there is a link to on my website, and a link to on my Twitter, and a link to probably in the show notes. Yes. Yes. yes all right. Well, awesome, Ray. We appreciate you coming over and sharing this, and we're very much looking forward to playing this game ourselves and seeing it reach the uh, Kickstarter. Ray, one. I just want to ask one one more question, really quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, there you go. Just one more. What, what is your favorite mecca? My favorite mecca. Hmm. My favorite mecca. What is my favorite mecca? This is too tough a question. It's a maybe given question. the original design of uh, Live Love Die. What is the mecca you'd most like to smooch? Pretty much. Oh, what is the mecca I'd most like to smooch? I mean, Cross is pretty handsome, but um. <laughs> Look, hmm. Is this there a good? Is this a um? They're good dog dogs. Brent scenario. I mean, they are they're, all good mechs, but there are definitely some mechs where it's like, ugh. oh, I mean, I really like flags. Flags are pretty fucking good. Um, from Gundam Double O. Um, the hmm. flags are the mechs that the U- Federation of the United States of Rush America have. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. The flags are very cool. I also, I think it's called a Loto, is a really cool mech from Gundam Unicorn. It's an APC mech. Fucking mm. sick. It's fucking carries like eight troops and has three cockpits. Um, nice. It's got missile launchers for hands. It's got <laughs> turns into a big, like, tracked vehicle. It's fucking slick and it's really long when it transforms too. So it's fucking. It looks like a, it looks almost like a muscle car. Um, nice, pretty fucking sick. Gundam Gundam Alex is pretty okay. Uh, Alex is great, um, and the thing that Alex fights is pretty fucking cool too. Oh, the uh, the camphor. Yeah, that yeah, the camphor is great. God, oh man. Um, <laughs> and the also pocket. the also the just dark. I think it's called, which is also from Gundam Unicorn, which is like it actually the head of the just dark actually looks like a pilot of like a US Air Force planes helmet kind of mm. it actually kind of looks like that fighter pilot helmet which is kind of cool and it's nice. got a bunch of fucking accessories that they clip onto it it's like oh we <laughs> built a 
we built this cool fucking we took the Gundam Zeta and we made it into a mass production model and then we immediately upgraded this other mech from a different line to fucking completely outperform it in combat. <laughs> The Jastark is like oh, the Jastark is like the ugly cousin, <laughs> even though it's not. It's like this. It's like oh yeah, here's our here's our cool fucking sick main fighting vehicle that we're gonna put in the hands of all of our like best pilots. The whatever the fuck that flyer thing is called. And then it's like, and then we have the Jastark, which is like a spec ops whatever fucking. It's like it's like here's your F F twenty two, and here's. Your, and here's your uh, here's your Apache, and it's like everybody wants the Apache because the Apache's fucking sick, and the F twenty two costs too much. Why, why did you have to bring up the F twenty two? Because your country <laughs> is ripping mine off over it. I'm sorry. Hey, the F twenty two can destroy alien ships, okay? And that's a reference to a podcast that didn't even exist. Okay. Except except they're not giving us the one that can destroy aliens. They're not even giving us the VTOL capable ones because America's all like, oh, we don't want to make Australia like a powerful rival. And it's like oh, in what world are we gonna be a powerful <laughs> rival to anyone? Alright, we have to get out of here. We have to get out of here now. I can't I can't I can't do this now. Eject the cockpit, go! <laughs> so, if, uh, thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, you can catch the Real Point Exchange at realpointexchange.com. We also are at, uh, we have a Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash the Real Point Exchange. There used to be a other Real Point Exchange, but I just double-checked and they are no more. So, we are the one, the true, the only Real Point Exchange. And the quickening. <laughs> Except no substitutes. They can be only one. You know, in the quickening, they have kind of like inherited powers and stuff like that. So that site I, was actually like a role playing site, like you know, safety word kind of thing. So I think we're a little naughtier now, possibly. You can find us on Twitter at <laughs> at RP Exchange. You can can they email us? Yeah, we have uh, Exchange at gmail dot com. Please feel free to email me and like you know, say hi. Yeah, and then yeah. There's the Patreon, which is what, Adam? Oh, God. Uh, Patreon.com slash RealPointExchange. Uh, you can actually... Uh, also has a Patreon. I don't think he, he pushed it, but you can support Insert Quest here on Patreon as well. Look, they can find links to my Patreon on my <laughs> side. I don't, I'm very wary of don't plug too many things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people turn off in the last 10 minutes anyway. <laughs> and we also have a uh, actual play of the first time around that uh, I tried to run Time Watch with Ray, which I kind of messed that one up, so I put that one on the B-sides, but you could also hear Ray being a time traveler on the Patreon, mm -hmm. so that would be a great thing. And finally, well, you know what? I think that's it. Well, Ray, thank you for joining us. This has been a blast. I'm totally psyched, man. Yes, indeed. I hope that you enjoy playing um, Live, Love, Die, and let me know how you go with it. And you should definitely play Live, Love, Die, Remember at some point, because I want to hear you all get real weepy about your, about your pilots. Definitely. <laughs> i got to go through my five people in heaven. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what? The five mecha you meet yep. in Robo Heaven. <laughs> and cut. <laughs>